Hey Rockstar, welcome to the 7th episode of Sister Sit Down. My name is Queen Rafi and this is my podcast Queen Rafi Space and the Sister Sit Down segment is a segment I started to talk to amazing Muslim sisters who are leveraging on the digital space to actually be inspiring knowingly or unknowingly. And for the very first episode this year, I couldn't have a more perfect guest. We talked about her book, we talked about the stuff that she's doing for Muslim women trying to bring all of us together to have a conversation and she also told me about what living in Saudi Arabia is like. You're listening. Welcome to another episode of Sister Sit Down. This is the very first one for the year 2021 and I couldn't start with a more amazing person on the podcast. Her name is Mutiat Badruddin. She is a self-proclaimed bibliophile, an author, a physician and She's been doing quite amazing for young Muslim women in her space. So today we're just going to have a conversation around all the things that she does and so many other stuff. Welcome to the show, Sister Mutia. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm really happy to have you here. First off, you are living in Saudi Arabia. That's like a dream (laughs) country for a lot of Muslims. How is that? Tell me about that. I mean, alhamdulillah, it's it's cool. Saudi has been good to me. I always tell people, like, it's been good to me, alhamdulillah. Uh, we've been here 11 years, so it's a good place. Some, some people have um, issues and concerns about the restrictions that you might have to face living in Saudi Arabia. Although I tend to find that from non-Muslims or Muslims who find the deen restrictive. But for me, it's been good for me and my family, so we're really grateful. All right. I'm, I'm really happy about that because for a lot of people, would, if you're a Muslim, you definitely would like to live there. And I can understand how people feel about restrictions. But all of those mm. restrictions kind of just help your life when you're a Muslim. It so, does. It does. <laughs> so now let's get into your book. You say you are a self-proclaimed bibliophile and now you are an author of about three different books. Yeah, One of your right. books that really jumped at me is the one you did you titled it Um Abdullah, and it is especially for fertility challenged Muslim women. Why did you write a self-help book for this particular set of women? Okay, so um, when I started writing Um Abdullah, I was going through fertility challenges myself. And I don't think I started out planning to put out a book. Writing is something that I do, you know, to help me make sense of life. So I was writing trying to figure out the, the challenges that you face as a woman going through, you know, fertility challenges. It's a difficult place to be in. It's a particularly isolating place to be in as a woman who is trying to conceive because with most of life's other challenges, you can tell yourself that, um, you know, this is happening to you. You don't really have, there's nothing you can do about it or other people are doing this to you or, you know, other people have it worse or something. You can usually find a rationalization. But when it comes to fertility challenge, it feels like you're like the only one who's going through this. It feels like your body's failing you. Like it's, it's just a really weird space to be in. And especially being a Muslim woman who's trying to hold on to your deen, it gets a lot more problematic, let me put it that way, because then people come to you with all sorts of suggestions and ideas and things that you can't even follow up on, even if you wanted to anyway, because religion. So when I started writing it out, I was just trying to make you know sense out of all of that. Plus, I was in medical school, which put me in a particularly 
privileged position to be able to explain, you know, all of the things that women might be going through with that kind of challenge. And then um, my mentor and my editor at that time, Allah, um, forgive him and accept him into his Rahman, um, Rani Sanus. Nee Sanus was like, oh, my case. So like, Mutia, you have to turn that into a book. Like, Mutia, where's my book? Mutia, he always calls my projects. He always calls it my book. So whenever I'm writing anything, he'll be like, Mutia, I'm waiting for my book. Where's the next chapter? Mutia. So he was the one who really jeered me to like, in a book form and bring it out to other sisters so that they might benefit from it. And by the time the book finally came out, that was in 2010, I think, um, I'd already had kids, alhamdulillah. By then I had two kids. But, you know, in the transition from when I started writing to when the book finally came out, I was able to go through the entire spectrum of what it means. Well, maybe not the entire because I was able to have kids, alhamdulillah. But, you know, I went from the space of the hopefulness, the despair, the loss of interest. I don't even know. All of the gamut of emotions that you can possibly run through, I had run through it up all the way to the euphoria of finally having kids. So I think that put me in a particularly privileged position to put that work out there. And so that was just what I did. I didn't find anything else that was dealing with that from our perspective as Muslim women. So I just put it out there. That's really amazing. And I particularly connect with this because, I mean, I've shared this on the podcast before. A lot of people know that I'm trying, or should I say we are trying, because I'm not doing it by myself. <laughs> yeah, do it by yourself. Yeah, inshallah. We, yes, yeah, we... Guarantee what is good. I mean, we are trying, I and my husband, to actually have a child. We've been married for over five years. And yes, I agree with where you're a Muslim woman, it's particularly a lot more difficult because everybody yes. tells you to, you're a Muslim, you should have faith. And let's not mm-hmm. even kid ourselves when you're in this space and actually if you are from the yoruba tribe where i'm from in nigeria people are coming at you with all sorts of suggestions that you know that you cannot explore as a muslim and then on the other hand you want to hold on and you don't even know how to hold on so this book that you wrote i'm not sure that you fully understand how important that piece of work is but it's amazing and i'm let's move to something else i would love to talk about You've written other books apart from this self-help book that you've written. Your latest book, Rekia and Z, is one of the amazing Muslim fiction books out there. And I think that's how we even first connected because I saw the book online. And me, I love Muslim fiction because it's always hard for you to get Muslim fiction. You find fiction in all kinds of other, you know, religions and stuff. But Muslim Mm -hmm. fiction is very scarce i don't know if i'm saying scarce or if if it's me that is um, not previewed to them but basically you're right they are scarce so i wanted to ask what's the challenge for muslim writers when it comes to writing fiction why is it so difficult to actually get quite a lot of books in the fiction genre for muslims so I, i think that challenges are in two folds there's the challenge from you know the external factor and then there's the challenge that you face yourself internally as a muslim writer so um, at least I'm, I'm, I'm speaking for myself. I suppose I shouldn't try to speak for everybody else. So externally, when you write fiction, when I wrote my first um, book of fiction, Faltering Steps, the kind of reaction I got is kind of like, oh, you're an amazing writer. You have this gift, mashallah, but why are you wasting it on something frivolous? Like, that's the best they can call it. Like, it's frivolous for you to write fiction. And th- those are the people that are trying not to hurt your feelings. The ones who are more hardlined than that will be like, oh, it's haram, oh, it's lying, oh, it's... So I went through like 10 years of not writing fiction, of not... In fact, out of those 10 years, there were a couple of years of not reading fiction as well, because I internalized all of that external noise where 
for some reason some people think that um, fiction is you know somehow wrong for a muslim it's time wasting it's frivolous it's uh, it doesn't add value uh, you know there's a lot of adjectives they used to qualify it so that's the external one and then there's the internal struggle that i personally had as a writer in that i mean after i got over the whole fiction thing i i love fiction it's i i read everything but fiction has my heart i believe that fiction documents our passage as human beings more than non-fiction does because how many people read these history books well, we all read the fiction books. I agree. So, fiction books like, are so amazing. <laughs> like, I, I was watching, I was doing a masterclass with Walter Mosley recently, and he was like, if you don't exist in the books of popular literature, in the books of popular fiction literature, then you don't exist in history. That's just how important fiction is. Because 100 years from now, nobody's going to care about all the academic books that you are writing in universities and nobody's reading, apart from other people that are in universities. People are going to be referring to what used to be the bestsellers in this time to know what it was like to live in during the pandemic so if you're not there if your voices are not there you just don't exist in the history of those people so i personally love fiction so once i got over the you know issue with writing fiction my personal challenge was then how to balance you know the things you want to talk about the things you want to explore as a writer as well as not not having to feel like you are misleading anybody else or not having to feel like whatever you write on the day of Yom al is going to be an evidence against you. Mm. So I think that that also makes a lot of writers, Muslims just, you know, stick with non, non-fiction because they, they can say, you know, we are dealing with this specific thing, we are teaching people this. And I think that when com- it comes to fiction writing and Muslim writers. I completely get that. And I'm glad that, you know, we have writers like you, especially me. I love having more female voices writing because they are able to talk from the angle of the young people, the women, and truly bring our stories to fore. Yes, mm. men might write, but they they would never truly understand what it feels like. when Yeah, and they lose a lot of the nuance. Exactly. So I love the fact that, you know, you wrote that book. I cannot wait to get my... How many books have I counted now that I want to collect? <laughs> Let's That's two at least. <laughs> Let's just move on now to another interesting thing. Now I want us to get a bit more into the religion of Islam because Sister Sit Down is about, you know, talking about Muslim women who are doing amazing things and juxtaposing that with the religion of Islam because the essence why we are here, when you truly understand it, is everything that we do is to serve Almighty Allah and to live here knowing that we did enough to be a good part of the Ummah. So I want to ask about the deen now. Have you had any struggles, you know, when it comes to the religion of Islam? Because some of us are born into the religion of Islam. Some of us find our way to the religion of Islam. But I have over the years believed that no matter which way you find yourself, there are some challenges that come once in a while and you have to do some things to tackle them. So you have anyone that is like that, that you went through and there was a way that you dealt with it. Can you share that with us? I mean, first... The deen is always a mercy from Allah. Like we come to the understanding and the practice of the deen, even when we are born into Muslim homes. It's not everybody who's born into Muslim homes that you know learn to practice the deen. And for uh, most of you know my friends, my own generation, most of us picked up this thing, you know, at university. So of course there were challenges. You enter school at, as a regular Yoruba girl, just living your life and maybe praying five times a day, but that's it and fasting in Ramadan. And then you go to school and you suddenly start doing all this 
quote unquote extremism things. So there, there's a lot of pushback from your family, from your friends, from your teachers, you know, especially while you are still in school. Personally, once I got over that stage of, and I think that's a young adult thing, by the time you reach a certain stage in your life, you're more secure in who you are, what you want for your life, how you want your life to shape out. Those things tend to matter a lot less. So I think what I find most challenging in the dean is the spirituality of it all. Because my life is so busy, um, I'm always doing 500,000 things at once. <laughs> so I have to always remember to be in the moment, in just take time to, to be, to find connectedness with myself and my Lord, and not just do the ibadah just out of habit or just out of muscle memory and just because this is what we do, but to always try to find time to center myself again and remind myself of why, you know, this is Allah that you're praying to, the Lord of the worlds, you know, find that connectedness with him, that connection with Allah. And then we go up with our life, we forget, and then you have to bring yourself back again. So it's like what the Professor Sam said, that Iman increases and decreases. Alhamdulillah. For me, that's my personal struggle, really. Mm. I love the fact that you mentioned the conv- um, the topic of Iman because that was going to be my next question. Iman increases and decreases is something that we've been told. But over time, as a person, you develop you develop a system that helps you when you realize it's like I'm running low. Like you develop mm. a system that helps you to recharge that. How do you mm-hmm. recharge yours? What is your own system? Mm. My system is early morning ibadah. Like when I start feeling like I'm losing the connectedness, it means that I have been slacking off on my hajjud. So my best versions of early morning ibadah is I get up early and I live in Saudi Arabia. Our fajr is like 4 a.m., 4.30 most of the time. So for you to get up early for tahajjud, you have to be really up, like really early. And then I work at night and so it's not always easy. But when I feel like I'm losing touch with that, that's what I want to do. I want to wake up early before the fajr and even if it's just three rakahs, five rakahs of, you know, tahajjud, and just sit down and meditate, be in the spirit, um, recite my Quran, stay there, observe my fajr, do my adhkar, wait until shuruq, that's until the sun comes up, and then perform my nafil before I even start that day. So on those days, I'm able to do that. I find myself well-centered and I feel like, okay, I'm back into the space where I want to be in terms of my spirituality. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's something that we all can do. I mean, a lot of guests I've had on would always tell you whenever they lose that connection, whenever they feel like they are losing the connection, Tajud is always a very good way to yeah, connect. Because everywhere is quiet. It's just you. You're focused. There are less distractions. And I'm thankful that you shared that system with us. Um, Now... Yeah. You have started, you know, some particular projects geared towards Muslim women. So I want mm. us to talk about those projects because me, I'm always excited when anything has to do with Muslim women. We need to stop being in the background. And I'm happy that mm. a lot more of us are coming to the forefront. So I wanted to ask, Muslima virtual parlor. I've seen quite mm. a lot about it on social media, but mm. I'm not even going to lie. I really do not understand what's about. Can you explain it to me? Okay, so um, the virtual parlor was something I came up with. I'm kind of new to social media. I mean, I was on Facebook in the beginning when Facebook started, and then I kind of fell off. I think I disappeared off of Facebook sometime in 2015, 2016, and I didn't come back until the lockdown. So this worldwide lockdown that happened was when I wanted to, I had a lot of time to reevaluate my life, and I decided that, you know, I wanted to do something significant with my writing and to do that i needed to be back on social media 
So I come back to social media. And then my publishers were like, you have to be on Twitter and you have to be on Instagram. And so I'm on social media and I realized very quickly that, okay, I am so not social enough for all of this. The interaction can get so heated. A lot of things get lost in translation. People say things sometimes that you wonder, do you really mean that? Or you're just saying that for the likes? And then it becomes difficult for you to really um, judge what's true and what is just for the hype. Mm. And then I thought, look, I, I want better connection with my sisters, with Muslim sisters. This is where my, you know, my focus is to be able to connect with Muslim women. And I can't do this on social media. I mean, on my Facebook page is actually very good. A lot of sisters, we have meaningful interaction, but Twitter and Instagram is just... Anyway, so I thought, how can I do this? <clears throat> In a place where we can, you know, sit together, have conversations that make sense, support each other, and not have to be distracted by all of this external hubris. Mm. So the idea of the virtual parlor was born. So it's kind of like a space. I'm hoping to do it once a month for now. It's a lot of work. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> so it's this um, a once a month virtual event where we all sit and we talk about a, a topic that is, you know, cuts across our spectrum, spectra as Muslim women, how it affects us, how to move forward, you know, just rub minds. It's not anything formal. We are not doing a lecture. I'm not even looking into, you know, making a big splash out of it. It's just regular Muslim women just sitting down and discussing their lives without any of the, you know, outside noises. So that's why it is. I really like that. I really like that. Honestly, I think um, I had one sister on here who also had like a WhatsApp group where she has Muslim mm. women and they just like come together, help each other out. I'm not sure it's only Muslim women, Sha, but I love the fact that this one is geared towards Muslim women and we just come together. It's not the let's lecture you on this, let's lecture you mm-hmm. on that. It's just the regular conversation you would have with your friends, but this time is with your sisters in Islam who can relate with some of your very unique um, situations like this um, yeah. hijab and so many other conversations like that. So I love it. I'm really hoping to, you know, join in on the next one you have. Have you had Inshallah. the one for February yet? Uh, well, actually, it's supposed to be for February, but I think we're going to have to have it on the first weekend in March because by the time I got over the January one, I started getting my panelists together for the February yeah. one. It was already so late. No, so, no. um it will be first week of March, inshallah. No problem. As much as it is. Honestly, it's, it's just the, 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 the thought and the effort is what counts. It doesn't matter how regular it is. As much mm. as we can try to make it as um, as consistent as you have the time for is amazing. I, mm. I really hope to be around for, you know, the one in March. So, inshallah. hashtag Muslim Women Joy. Ah. Another project of yours. How is this one I, different? I actually didn't, you know, this this was different because I didn't even plan it. It was just... So, Ricky and Z is out. And mm-hmm. from the lad, the reception has been good. I'm supposed to be working on my next book. Well, technically speaking, I am working on my next book, but I start writing. And this is also centered about around fertility, actually, subhanAllah. Mm. And I thought, oh my God, this is, this is sad. All right, okay. I, I need joy. Like, I just thought to myself, I need joy. So I go on Twitter and I'm like, you know, share with me joy. And then I posted all across my socials, my Facebook and my... And people start coming up with, you know, moments of joy. And I was like, oh my God, this is something Mm -hmm. right here. This is something like, 
we always have this narrative around the Muslim woman about our life. It's almost as if we are this set of pathetic human beings that are somewhere in the background and we are oppressed and our life is devoid of joy and everything we do is just sacrifice and burden. And, and I was like, that's, that's not true. Let us talk about joy, you know? So once my sisters started responding with their moments of joy, I just, it just went crazy. And right now, like the past three days, responding to all the comments just, you know, on my Facebook page for the Muslim Women Joy. And I'm like, okay, this is an entire series on its own. So now I have ideas for articles. I'm going to put as much as of it as in my um, in my upcoming book because I really want it to be joyful. Mm. And, and we'll see, you know, I don't know what else is going to come up after that because I didn't really plan for this, but, you know, alhamdulillah. I just oh. thought that we needed the joy, like... We definitely need the joy in this pandemic, in this panini, in this whatever pan we want to call it. <laughs> we definitely need the joy. And I love what you said. A lot of times when people see Muslim women, they, they see us as, oh, you have been oppressed. Your father is selling you to marry. Your mm-hmm. husband is probably not treating you well because he wants to marry another husband, wife or something. Mm-hmm. Like, they have this idea that every Muslim woman, as soon as you see her, she's supposed to be pitied because she's going through something. So, but Honestly, mm-hmm. do we have Muslim women who are being marginalized and oppressed? Absolutely, that is a fact. But do we yeah, also have definitely. Muslim women who are doing things and thriving and are supported on every level and are flying as far as they can? Absolutely fine. So when we tell the stories of people who are going through struggles, it is important for us to also highlight the people who are also flying. So you understand that there is, it, maybe there is no balance, but there, there are two sides of the coin and not every story. I mean, that's exactly. life, really. Mm-hmm. Everything has, you know, its ups and its downs and we can't just paint every story with one color and say the rainbow is one color or something. Mm-hmm. There's, there's something I listened to that said that. So <laughs> anyway, I'm really like, and the thing is, the thing about joy is the more you, you share it, the more, you know, it increases. So like for me personally, just reading the responses, I have just been in a really happy space for this past few, almost a week of it going around. And I'm like, oh my God, I, I, I just want to take it as far as, and as far as wide as I can. Like, let's just hone in on this joy. Let us just spread this joy. Let it not be that everything about us is just the negative. Let's just yeah. celebrate ourselves for once. True. That's really important. So I'm just going to say, you're an amazing Muslim woman listening to this. You want to share your happy moments with your fellow sisters. You can definitely share it on social media. Use the hashtag Muslim Women Joy and all of your sisters will come in there, celebrate you. Did you just graduate? Did you just win something? In fact, even if it's as simple as you just complete one chapter of the Holy Quran or even one verse be sure that your sisters are there to celebrate you when you use the hashtag or even if you just eat the most amazing donuts from somewhere like I really don't care how mundane it is you as see something that brings you joy and you know that feeling no matter how fleeting no matter how mundane just Share it, share with it us, and we'll be there to celebrate with you. Definitely, inshallah. don't forget the hashtag. <laughs> hashtag is hashtag Muslim Women Joy. I'll put it in the show notes so you guys can use it and just spread as much Muslim Women Joy as we can find. Okay, we're almost coming to the end of the show. I feel like, but before you go, <laughs> I always ask this question to every Muslim sister that comes on the show, and it's because yeah. it's such a fantastic question. 
to ask it, it ties into the joy thing you talked about what makes you most excited to be a muslimah like you you sit you think about it and you're like wow this is actually fantastic i'm a muslim woman this makes me happy for me personally it's the verse of talaq i say it all the time like anybody who knows me would have heard me talking about it a million times it's the verses where allah say wa may yattaqillaha yaj'al raja whoever has taqwa of allah he will make a way out for for him wa yarzuquhu min haythu la yahtasib and he will provide from him from a wa may yatawakkal 'ala allah fa huwa hasbu and whoever puts his trust in allah then allah will suffice him inna allah baligh amri like and complete all of his matters like all of, let me not speak in your but you know allah would make all of your affairs the way it should be beautifully completed just done for me those verses are like every time every time i remember those verses it doesn't matter where i am in what space i am what i am going through i just i am uplifted i am in euphoria i am like alhamdulillah you know that feeling of I'm good. Yeah, I I can feel the joy in your <laughs> mind. And and I and I really like what she said. Honestly, like every time I have a sister on the sister sit down segment, they say something and it just gets me thinking. And yeah, when you think about it knowing that regardless of what I'm going through, all my dear life is going to come true for me. There's this kind of peace that you you feel when you're able There's, to come to that like realization. You don't, you're just like, you know, alhamdulillah. Yes. I can't imagine what it's it would be like not to have that. True. Like because life is so full of ups and downs and trials and you know mm-hmm. but then you have that at the back of your mind you just it's just a piece that you can't explain to somebody who just doesn't get it it's just something in life Absolutely agree. So finally just before you leave us you are a wealth of knowledge it will be such a disappointment if I don't ask you to just give us your advice but this time i want you to tailor your advice to young muslim women who are writers because when we're mm. talking about you know your book and everything you've gone through you did talk about some challenges so i want you to tailor mm. this advice to the ones mm. who are writers so i think i'm going to bring the advice in like really as i don't know i think it's the homes in mother in me i'm always always doing things in you know labels and layers and we don't okay. mind right <laughs> right so in three layers the first is find a solid connection between you and your lord like your dean is just you and your lord everything else is secondary it's difficult to understand that until i don't know you've get attained it i suppose but try not to focus so much on the community on the social um, society on what the people are thinking what the people are saying what the books have built a connection a relationship between you and your lord like sorry to dig- digress but my my kids say they know when i'm worried because that's when i start going la ilaha illallah subhanaka and i keep repeating it over and over and over again and i was like oh okay i didn't even know i was doing that until my kids pointed it out to me mm. but finding that relationship between you and your lord such that whatever you find yourself whoever you you faced with no matter what's happening around you you know that you have that between you and your lord that's not over the second thing is center yourself as a woman like it's difficult being a muslim woman so don't I don't want this to be taken, you know, the wrong way, but don't define yourself based on other people's expectations and other people's um perception of who you are or who you should be. You need to find 
for yourself, define for yourself who you are. Because on the basis of the context of your relationship with your Lord, but also in terms of your own personality, the things that matter to you, the things that bring you joy, the things you can accept, things you would not accept, you need to define for yourself who you are, what your limits are. And this first two is for every young Muslim woman because I feel like we really need it. Mm. And then the last thing, for, specifically for the writers, is write. Don't don't think of you know how am I going to make money from it? Um, how am I going to finish my manuscript? How am I going to? Mm-mm, that's not what you need at this point. What you need at this point is to write, write and write and write as much as you can every day. Write. What that does for you is it helps you to hone your craft because writing is like any other muscle. It gets better the more you do it. But the other thing it does is if and when the time comes and when the time comes, you will know. You will have all of these years and years and years of materials that you have written and you thought was no good and can you can you can go back to them you just bloom on the surface and everybody will be like oh she's such a mashallah and they don't know what you have put into it so writing is one of those things that the more you do it the better you get at it and nobody nobody's born you know spectacularly good at writing you have to hone your craft so just you know keep writing that's always my advice to people who say you know young writers thank you so so much that is quite a very packed advice and i'm sure that you know like you said the very first two is something every muslim woman can apply to their life and the last one tailored to writers i love it as well the more you do stuff the more you get better at it and you would definitely come to that point where you will win if you continue to do it so yeah i'm so really grateful for having you here such a joy having you here i can't wait to have you back on the podcast again inshallah yeah but for this particular time i want to say thank you so much for being on the podcast thank you so much for reaching out thank you for writing those books when you said you're writing another book i was doing like a little dance i'm like yeah (laughs) book number three you haven't read rafi (laughs) we'll get there inshallah so thank you thank you so much i'm really grateful for you being on the podcast Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sister Sit Down with Mutia Badruddin. I'm always so excited when Muslim sisters reach out to me to be on the podcast or anybody at all. But this one was particularly very, very satisfying for me. I hope that you've learned one or two things. If you want to get her book, I'm going to make sure that I have her website in the show notes for you so that you can go there, click on it and buy her books. All of the books we talked about on this episode are really amazing. Also, as a Muslima, the Muslima virtual pile registration is open. Yes, it is. All you have to do is go to the social media handle of the, the Muslima virtual pile and you can see the form there, register and join in. A lot of amazing sisters are going to be on the panelists and I'm very sure you want to join in on that amazing conversation. I'll put a link also in the show notes because I always aim to please and I make sure that everything is easy for you. Huh? Yeah. So that you can go there, click on it and just have it easy all the way. Thank you so much for listening. I would also love to make a humble um, plea to you to say if you know any amazing Muslim sister doing anything that is fantastic that you feel that oh my god Rafi you should have them on sister sit down please do not hesitate to send me a message you can do that either via twitter at queen underscore Rafi or you do it via the instagram page of the podcast queen Rafi space podcast or you just send me an email queen Rafi space podcast at gmail.com I want to have more sisters this year hopefully we can have like up to 10 episodes as against the six I did last year but whichever number we're able to get my aim is that we learn from this amazing and sisters and we are inspired and we know that we can also do it too.
Thanks for listening.